welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening today and would love to visit with you if you've got some questions about horticulture, maybe the lawn, trees, shrubs, vegetables, even houseplants. If you want to talk about that, we can do that. Just give us a call at 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. If you would like to send a picture, which is very helpful because, uh, you know, diagnosing or identifying uh, with a picture is much, much easier, uh, you can email it to gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Well, we finally got a little bit of rain around here. I hope you got some in your area. I know it, it was somewhat hit and miss, but overall I think we did pretty good. Uh, the break in the temperatures has been nice. That's made things, oh gosh, you know, it. it's kind of funny how you go outside and 96 degrees feels really good. Uh, but that's where we are after the summer that we've had, right? Uh, we're going to talk about some things to be doing in the lawn and garden here a little bit. I'll get it to a few of your emails as well. But again, if you'd like to give a call, uh, 979-845-5689. When, when we hit the end of September, we are just on the verge of, of truly having cooler weather. Some fronts come through and uh, things really cool off. The fall is the best season of the year to plant. And uh, I guess I'm a broken record on this one, but it is. It is, it is. Especially woody ornamentals and perennials as well, too. So shrubs, trees, and woody vines, those kinds of things. When you plant them in the fall, they have many months to start to get roots established into the soil and get ready for the next brutal hot summer coming. Uh, and so it gives your chance the best chance of your plants the best chance of success. So we really recommend people do that. Now if you need to prepare the soil in an area, now would be a good time to get it done. Uh, as soon as it's, uh, I guess, dry enough to work, uh, to be able to, to mix it up and things. Putting compost in the ground, mixing it in as deeply as you can in a very large area for planting perennials, for planting shrubs, that's a good idea. When it comes to trees, our trees' root systems reach way, way past the edges of the branches. You know, two and a half times maybe that. Um, and so to amend the soil in the planting hole does absolutely no good at all. It just, it just doesn't. That tree has to be able to live where you planted it. So if you're planting a species and you feel like the soil's not good for it, well, then it's the wrong species for that site because the tree is ultimately going to have to live there. So I, I generally don't recommend amending soil for trees. There is a somewhat exception. We have some plants that are uh, small trees, large shrubs, those kinds of things, like redbud would be an example. It doesn't get huge. Uh, Mexican um, Mexican plum would be another example. It doesn't get really huge. So on those, you could amend a very large area and then dig the hole and plant the plant. You know, don't amend the hole. Amend a larger area, dig the hole and plant the plant because their root systems are going to be a little less or considerably less extensive than something that will be a giant shade tree. 
in your landscape. So hope that uh, helps, gives a little bit of uh, perspective on uh, some of the things that uh, should be done soon. So now's the time to get those those uh, soil beds prepped for any kind of planting. If you're going to do a vegetable garden, we're in the big middle of fall planting. I mean, really are. Uh, things that are in the cruciferous vegetable family, the blue-leafed vegetables, that would be broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, uh, probably forgot if, okay, 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 I think I said most of them. Well, anyway, those go in in mid-September through mid-October is the best time to plant those. Now, you can plant them a little later. In fact, you can plant them on through the winter. But if you get them in now, the growth rate will be much better. And so go ahead and get your transplants and plant them in. If you're going to start from seed, you can do that. Uh, if you start now, you're getting a pretty good head start. And you still could get a crop out of those kinds of things. Our root crops like uh, carrots and um, beets, uh, turnips, for example, radishes, those crops uh, we also can be planting now. Uh, these particular kinds of crops are typically a little shallow-rooted. Uh, they do well as the weather cools off. That That is ideal. But most of those are not going to do really well in very cold weather. Carrots can take a little bit of cold, but uh, not not so much. Uh, I would uh, I would get those planted soon. Carrots take a long time, by the way, uh, to come up, and then they take a long time to fully develop. The most important thing to remember with your root crops is once they're up, thin them out. So imagine how big the root will be on whatever species you choose. So let's just say you're going to plant a carrot, and the mature root is going to be an inch and a quarter in diameter, just to pull a number out. Well, you would want to plant you would want to thin those to where they're no closer than an inch and a quarter apart. Uh, so that looks far when it's a little tiny seedling, but it's not. When you crowd them, they don't develop roots as well as when they have a little bit of space to grow. And uh, usually when I'm clipping off carrots, uh, not so much with beets and, and turnips, radishes, but with carrots, if you damage that long tap root, it'll split and grow two roots or even more and it just doesn't make a very good carrot and so I will typically take scissors and just cut the little seedlings off at the ground just snip them off you can go pretty quick that way uh, whereas when you rip them out maybe the root you ripped out was going across or around a root of a carrot you're leaving and you get the idea so be a little careful with that that really helps when all these plants get in the ground, you want to give them a little fertilizer and get them going. This is especially true of the blue leaf vegetables, the cruciferous crops. You want those to keep going. One plant we don't do a lot of fertilizing of in the, in the fall season is uh, cool, or, or the cool season peas. We have English peas, we have snow peas, we have sugar snap type peas, and those things uh, they have nodules that can form on their roots with a particular type of bacteria that actually helps bring nitrogen into the plant. Now, they need a moderate amount, just a moderate amount, though, not a lot. Uh, and uh, you can often buy those inoculated dusts that you put over the seed so when the thing sprouts, you've got the, the microbes there that are going to work with the root and help it be more efficient, more effective. So that's, that's just something else to consider. When uh, it cools off a little bit more, then things like spinach uh, can go in. Spinach likes kind of cold weather. Uh, it really does. And so uh, I wait until probably about mid-October. You can start earlier, but I, I wait till about mid-October to plant spinach. 
Uh, and I think it does. It does super well. Uh, so if you're going to plant the cool season peas, by the way, it, like plant them now, right now. I mean, the, this the last week of September is usually about the best time to do that. Now, the weather's different every year, so you know I, I can't predict a, a future year. But in general, we say about the end of September, third week, fourth week of September, plant those. And here's why. You, you don't want to plant them in the heat of summer, which we're kind of almost there, right? Um, if, you, if you wait too long, though, they won't have time to grow, bloom, and, and set the pods that you're going to harvest and eat. And they're not cold hardy. The plants are pretty cold hardy, but the pods and blooms are not so much cold hardy on those. So you don't want to push them where they're not coming on until, let's say, late November, early December, when we're likely to have uh, a freeze uh, come in for the season. If you'd like to plant multiplying onions, uh, this is a good time to do that. If you want to plant leeks or garlic, uh, this is a good time you can do that. If you're fortunate enough to find artichoke transplants, they're not real easy to find. Most most places don't sell those. Uh, you can plant those this month as well. Uh, September and first three-fourths of October is when I would try to get it done. So uh, those will grow through the winter. You may have to protect them on a really, really cold day. Uh, just give them a little protection. They're not fully cold hardy, but they're moderately cold hardy. And then when you get them into the spring, they take off growing, and that's when you get your artichokes. Cardoon is another plant that looks very similar that's also grown uh, for uh, human consumption. So that's another one you might want to try. Always make sure your soil has plenty of compost in it for your vegetable garden. Uh, usually an inch is enough to put down. If you've never worked the soil before and you're trying to, let's say, put a garden into your clay soil, I would probably put about two inches, maybe a little more, uh, down and mix it as deeply as you can into the clay because we're going to try to get that clay to loosen up to develop a better structure and it, and it does much better as a result of that. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, if you are interested in finding a copy of the vegetable garden planting dates that I was just actually reading from to you, uh, it is a green checkerboard looking calendar that goes from January to February. It has a lot of vegetables listed and when to plant them. You can go to brazosmg.com. It's our Master Gardeners website, brazosmg.com. Dot com, and you click in there, you kind of click your way through it, get to the edibles, and there'll be a calendar on there. Also a list of some of the cultivars that do really well uh, here when you're choosing adapted things for this area. Uh, one little tip, though, on choosing cultivars is choose things that are pretty fast. Uh, like, like the cool season peas I mentioned, there's some that are about... Mm, 58, 60 days, and, and that, that's pretty fast. There's others that take 72 or more days before they, they reach maturity. And again, we've got that window where we're trying to get them in without too much heat, and we're trying to get them out before the freeze hits. So look for faster days to harvest. That's just a general good idea for a lot of the things that we plant in our gardens here. Let's go to the phones. Again, the number 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Mark. Hello, Mark. 
How do you skip? How are you, sir? Well, I'm well, thanks. What's up? Thank, thank, thanks for all you do and your excitement about this uh, great season. I have a question, uh, and, and then another comment question. First question is: English boxwood does it do well here if it gets eight, ten hours of sun? Uh, that's a lot of sun, and and boxwoods in general do do well with with that. I've not, I'm not as familiar with the specifically English boxwood. I'm not fully sure what you're referring to, which one there. But we have a number of different boxwoods that make good evergreen shrubs. They have their issues. Uh, a little bit of cold tenderness on some of them when we have freezes that they're not ready for. You get some splits in the trunk. That can happen. They can be attacked by nematodes. And there's a, a fungal root rot of the, uh, I mean, uh, uh, it's a uh, plumbing, plugging, disease of the soil, I'd say that carefully, uh, that gets in the plant and prevents water from moving up through it uh, successfully and it can be a problem. That's not to say if you plant a boxwood it's going to die of all three things. It just means those are possibilities out there. So it would be, uh, like you said, better planted this time of year than maybe four months ago, five months ago? Oh man, way time, way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait, much better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're we trying planted to... a whole slew of them, and they just some many did not do well. Yeah. At yeah. All. Well, I don't. I don't doubt that. I mean, you can plant twelve months out of the year yeah. uh, here, but it's so touch and go, and you have to get it just right, right that right. that we just say wait for fall. Yeah, that's good. A, okay. That's well, we'll we'll do that. Um, I, at Mount Vernon, I learned that uh, George Washington loved the English boxwood. Okay. And he would put them um, behind the bricks and keep them uh, small. Uh, so he had the border of the contrast with the red and the green. And okay. So, but of course, we're just trying to get them to survive, not not be small. And, such right. thing. and then I was wondering if you could help. Um, I'm so bothered when I see live oaks that have been planted by both cities and uh, crepe myrtles and, and even at our beloved A&M. And um, it I, I saw folks cutting the, the dead grass, but they weren't watering the the crepe myrtles that mm. were, and, and, and the uh, live oaks that were yeah. three, five, seven years old, thousands and thousands of dollars per yeah. per plant, if you consider the, the time, energy, cost, growth, et cetera. Is there some, something we can do to talk to folks to have them try to do? Boy, I, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to figure out who the one to talk to is. But I can tell you this, uh, just in general, grounds crews, are they got all they can do on their hands. And uh, sometimes they're just some plants that don't get the full treatment that maybe they should. Uh, but I wouldn't know who to point you to uh, for that kind of conversation. Okay. But you're right. Uh, you know, a little bit of water is inexpensive compared to the price of, of replacing a plant like a tree, for example. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thanks so very much. And if I have any success with talking to folks, I'll let you know. All right. Thank and, you. Again, thanks for all your great work. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Bye. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Or you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. You. Uh, if you are interested, our Master Gardeners on Tuesday, September 26th at the Brazos County Extension Office 
are going to have a free program. It's at 7 p.m. And by the way, the Extension Office is right next to the County Tax Office on County Park Court Street. Uh, so uh, I guess I shouldn't say court and street. It's County Park Court. Uh, the uh, talk will be on growing, going grassless, question mark. Your yard can affect the environment. And uh, Dr. Chang, uh, from the T Texas A&M Department of Soil and Crop Sciences will be giving this presentation, uh, really timely considering the summer's weather that we had. Uh, so you're welcome. All guests are welcome. Uh, if you want more details, go to brazosmg.com and you can find out more information about that particular event. Uh, okay, let's see. I think events are kind of quiet right now. Not a whole lot of things going on, or at least they're not telling me about it if they are. Uh, so I, I was I was talking about this is a good time to plant in the fall. Fall is also a good time to move plants. And if you've been out in your landscape, and uh, this happened to me one time, I had a I had a rose bush, and it was it was in a spot that was just a little too shady. There were a little too many hours of no sun on that bush, and it wasn't performing its best. So I wanted to move it. Excuse me. I wanted to move it out into a sunny area. So uh, in early November, maybe late October, but especially early November, when the leaves normally are kind of coming off a lot of our plants, uh, then that would be a good time to move it, to dig it up and to move it to its new location. Again, it gives it all the months of winter and early spring to be getting roots down before we start to heat up. And so if you need to move a plant, that is a good time to do it. And we see all kinds of reasons for that. You know, I've, I've had calls from people that, hey, the highway's coming through and they're going to bulldoze all this. But if I get out there, they said I can get those plants out, or some plant out of there. Well, okay. Uh, other people are, yeah, grandma's passed away. We're selling the property, but I want this particular bush. It reminds me of my grandmother. Uh, and so how do we do that? Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about now. Uh, in the yard, I just use a tarp. I dig the hole around the plant leaving a root ball, a, 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 you know, a good clump of, of soil there at the base, and uh, dig under it and slide the tarp halfway under, and then from the other side, uh, slide the uh, dig under it as well, and you can slide it up on the tarp. So basically, you're not picking up the plant. You're just cutting the roots around it and then under it and getting it on the tarp. A tarp makes it really easy to move. You can slide a tarp across the lawn with a fairly heavy root ball on it, uh, fairly easily. Now, if you get somebody else to help you, it's even even better. And move it to its new location. Dig the hole the same depth that it was before. You don't want to, what was once at one depth now is buried two inches deeper. You want to keep it the same. Uh, put it in. Move, put the soil you dug out of the hole around it. And as you do that, putting the soil in to refill the hole, water the area. Soak it good. So I'll, I'll put a third of the soil in and then get water it really good. And then I'll put another third of the soil and water it really good. And then finish it off with a good watering. I usually put a little berm of soil around woody ornamentals. So think of a donut that is big enough to be just outside that root ball that you moved or that container cylinder that you pulled the plant out of if you bought the plant. Uh, just outside that. So about four to six inches high. Six seems high, but it will settle, uh, but at least four inches high. Uh, and then you can put water in it 
and all the water has to go straight down. It can't run off the surface like it will if you just lay a hose there. Inevitably it's going to run off faster than it soaks in. So with that berm, that's a good way to get them through. Uh, they're not going to need a lot of watering in the winter time. We're just keeping the roots moist. But when it heats up, that first critical summer, that's when we lose most of the plants like this that we might lose is, is when it really heats up that first critical summer. And you just have a great way to water it. It makes it a lot easier for you to get in and do that. I had a question uh, come in from uh, Kristen. And uh, they, they live down on the Brazos Bottoms and have a couple of oaks, uh, live oaks, in, in their yard. One's doing really good and the other one not so much. And that live oak that's not doing good is covered in lichens. And if you are not familiar with lichens, uh, they come in many forms. Uh, they can look like little miniature bushes, maybe, you know, three-quarters of an inch or an inch high coming off the branch. They can look like flat like a papery substance laying on the branch with, with wavy edges. Uh, they can be gray. They can be kind of a golden uh, orange color. And they just have a lot of different possible features. Go online and search for lichens, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Lichens like humid conditions. They like uh, decent light. Uh, and that, that is really important. And then just something to grow on. Lichens grow on rocks. They grow on fence posts. So they're not a parasite of your tree, but they're often associated with tree decline. And the reason is because as a tree declines, one of the reasons, the canopy thins out and you get a little more light through there. Uh, and the grow, I guess also maybe the diameter increasing of the branch isn't as much because it's just sort of sitting there. That may be part of the factors that, that go into this. But people see them and then they see a branch died that's died and the branch is full of lichens and so lichens kill the branch and they didn't. Uh, they, they were not the main reason the branch had a problem. So what do you do about them? You ignore them and you get your plant growing faster. Uh, these, uh, these live oaks that uh, Kristen was writing about uh, are apparently getting enough water. And so if they're getting enough water, then that's all they need. Live oaks are pretty resilient. Uh, but anyway, uh, you want to just in do whatever it's necessary to invigorate it. You might check around the base. If these were container-grown trees, sometimes a plant is left in a container so long that a root encircles the pot. As it goes out there, it wants to go out in the soil, but there's this pot that the plant is growing in, so it hits the side and starts to go in a circle. And as that circled root gets bigger and the trunk gets bigger, there's a point where they come together and the root is strangling the trunk. And then you start to see all kinds of symptoms above ground that look like, does it need watering? Uh, it's just not growing. What's going on? Uh, and you might check for that at the base. If you find it and it's advanced, there's usually not much you can do. If you can catch it early and with a little bit of uh, creative surgery, try to get that, that root from not embedding in the trunk, uh, that would be helpful to be able to do. Uh, if it's if it's not a circling root, I would just uh, continue to provide uh, moderate water during drought. And and live oaks are resilient, so if it's been in the ground for a few years at least, uh, then I would say you just need to give the whole area under the branch spread a good soaking every couple of weeks during a drought time. 
uh, but not all through the winter time. Uh, but if it if it doesn't rain, you, you may need to water. Evergreens in the winter are still using water at a much lower rate, uh, whereas deciduous plants have dropped all their leaves, and leaves are the main way water gets out of the plant. So uh, it's it's deciduous. We essentially don't water in the winter, but but evergreens you probably want to give them a little bit here and there. I guess it'd be possible to put a little bit of fertilizer uh, in a very large area on it, kind of fertilizing the area under the branch spread like you would a tree. Most of the time when I visit with, with arboricultural specialists, uh, they're not just really big on trying to make trees grow real fast with lots of fertilizer. Uh, and so I would kind of go moderate on that if you're going to do it. Uh, and other than that, I think it's kind of a wait and see. We have to remember, and if these are on the Brazos River bottom, they may well be uh, native plants or they grew from a, an acorn that came from another tree. When uh, when you have native, um, uh, when I say native, I mean they, they were in, already on the site long, long, long ago. When you, when you have plants that are growing from a seed, uh, they're genetically different. Every seed is genetically different and just like people are genetically different and so sometimes a plant may be predisposed to a problem or predisposed to being resistant to a problem for example and so a lot of times when I see plants side by side like that I I always kind of wonder what all is going on that was a long answer to a short question but um, seems like these days some of the questions we're getting don't have short answers like what's wrong with my tree that's that's the classic one we've lost a lot of trees around here uh, you know plants that are completely leafless at this time of year uh, most types especially like a big um, post oak I would say that's probably a goner uh, at this point if you want to wait give it till spring see if it comes back out that's fine uh, the cypress trees have bronzed and dropped leaves but they will be back they're not dead uh, the crepe myrtles, it's kind of yes and no, depends on the one you see. Our crepes uh, got a real double whammy. In December of last year, the temperature dropped way into the mid-teens, and the crepe myrtles were not hardened off properly, in most of them, most cases. And so as a result, uh, a freeze that shouldn't have been a problem for a crepe myrtle was a big problem. And you see crepe myrtles all over town where huge sections of the top have been killed or maybe the whole plant was killed to the ground and then it resprouts from the base and that that is pretty tough and then you know you add the drought to the freeze and it's just a tough time for crepe myrtles so if you if you have a tree that it has so much die that has died in it that it is aesthetically just not acceptable you know, if you prune out all the brown, it just looks really weird and, and you don't like it. You can cut them off at the base, but I wouldn't do that now. I don't want to promote growth going into the winter time. But coming out in spring, cutting them back to the base, picking one shoot if you want a single trunk crepe myrtle or three shoots, which that's a common number of trunks that would be on a crepe myrtle. It's up to you how many you want to do. But you pick those and, and cut the others off as close as you can get them to attach to the base. Uh, there is a product called Sucker Stopper, and you can find it in places that carry uh, you know, a wide variety of, of products. 
you can spray those on after you cut them off spray that on and it basically is a hormone uh, that uh, kind of inhibits re-sprouting it's not you do it once and then you're never going to get a sprout again but it does it does slow it down a little bit and uh, for a while and so that may be something you want because when crepes start to send up suckers from the bottom uh, and people cut them off and leave a little one inch stub that one inch stub has a whole bunch of buds on around the base of it and so you're just going to get more suckers uh, from that same spot. So you got to cut them as close as you can to the bark. And then I would spray it with something like a sucker stopper just as a little bit of extra insurance to see if that can, can help carry you a little further. Well, the phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.com. E-D-U, garden success at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. We're going to uh, switch gears here a little bit, and I want to talk about some of the flowers that can be planted now and the ones that we'll be planting before too long as well. Uh, in, your, in your floral beds, your color beds, uh, the marigolds do really well in the fall up until the first frost, and th they're not frost-hardy at all. The first frost takes them out. Petunias are another one that doesn't have great frost hardiness, but it does well and it looks good. And those are warm season plants, so we can we can put them out now. Uh, the spider mite populations are crashing as we get into the fall. The the uh, day length is part of the effect of that, I believe, and uh, certainly temperatures. And your your marigolds, which normally would be a magnet for spider mites they're able to really take off and they are beautiful. They really glow in that temperature. As we move into the fall season, early fall, snapdragons are a great plant. Uh, they come in very short bedding plant sizes and very tall cut flower sizes. Snapdragons come in many colors and they're, they're an easy plant to grow. Uh, alyssum is has little tiny white flowers it's typically used as almost a ground cover where you plant a bunch of them because they kind of grow low and outward uh, as it, they don't spread it's not like a vining plant but they gradually spread outward uh, from the center and and they do well in cool weather as well uh, some people plant them in a container cascading over the sides uh, that add, adds a lot of interest to it. Uh, and then dianthus. Dianthus, uh, so many new exciting types of dianth dianthus from um, the breeders of recent uh, years. And uh, you'll see some taller ones that just are absolutely like a neon sign out there. They're beautiful. And they like the cool weather as well. Now, none of these are as hardy as some of the other plants I'm going to talk about in a moment. But they are great early fall cool season plants. We're going to head to the phones now. And our phone number, by the way, is 845-5689. And we're going to start off visiting with Dust, uh, Justin. Hello, du Justin. <laughs> Hi. Um I'm having a problem with my uh, lawn. It's uh, I have St. Augustine, and I'm having um, problem with like dollar weed, sandspur, clover, and and spurge. So I I bought um, this spectricide weed stop for lawns. Okay. Um, okay. And so I was going to spray that on there, but I'm I'm worried because I got two really big, nice trees that I'm really trying not to kill with you know any type of uh, herbicide. Mm -hmm. Is there any rule of thumb when you're trying to apply stuff like this um, with big trees around? Well, number one, don't overdose it. 
uh, for sure. Uh, when you put a lot on, uh, then the chance of it, a product's getting down in the in the um, root system of a tree increase. Uh, there are some products that are more problematic than others. Uh, spectricide, uh, I'm trying to find the ingredient in that one. I was think I know what it is, but do you don't happen to have a label right in front of you, do you? Yeah, it's uh, 4% allergazine and then, uh, yeah, alt altrazine? Uh, atrazine, huh? Yeah, so that atrazine uh, is soluble and it'll move down in water and it will damage woody ornamental plants. And so okay. I would only apply it at the rate, if you've already bought it, only apply it at the rate that you would would uh, uh, find on the label. And then don't do so right before a rain. You know, get it out okay. there, get it down. It's it's going to say probably water it in with, you know, a certain amount of, of, of sprinkler water uh, and just get that down. And then it, it should work pretty well for you. But it is one of the ones I, I generally don't. I'm, it works well on weeds, but I'm not real crazy about it because I see what people do with it by misapplying it. Uh, what would you recommend? Uh, well, well. Now, you mentioned some weeds. You mentioned, uh, did you say dollar weed or dichondra? I think I, I have the little dollar weeds, and I've me and my wife actually handpicked all the sand spurs out. So okay. Um, okay. And then we definitely have clover. Okay. Um, so, so the clover would be the only one that you would go out with spectricide right now with uh, okay. atrazine. Atrazine is a pre-emergent. It has a little post-emergent kickback. Uh, so if you have a little seedling that has already sprouted, it'll probably kill it. But uh, it's it's generally a pre-emergent herbicide. Uh, what what I would uh, so you would want to get it on probably, uh, you know, any time from about now on into early October to get ahead of the cool season weed germination. Uh, there are some other products out there that will uh, effectively control both uh, broadleaf and grassy weeds. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you might want to uh, uh, just consider, you know, some of the other options. There's a, there are uh, products that are pre-emergent. So you'd be preventing the clover. The dollar weed or, or dichondra uh, is more of a perennial and it's gonna just be around, it's a broadleaf. So a pre-emergent isn't gonna help because it, I mean, I guess okay. if you had a seed come up but of it, but the big problem in the seed coming up, it's the weed itself. What was the other one? Oh, grass spur or sand spur. That, that is going to be something you put out very late in, in the spring, uh, not early, early like the rest. When I say late, I mean probably April uh, to prevent the, the grass spur, the sand spur from germinating. Gotcha. So you kind of have okay. a mix yeah. there that there's not one answer to. Oh, okay. Um, perfect. Um, does it affect that I, I uh, I fertilized my lawn like, uh, maybe five days ago. Mm -hmm. it, would that cause a problem with me spraying down herbicide no. or laying down herbicide? No, okay. there's not a problem with that. You, you can absolutely okay. do that. Uh, just, you know, as you're, as you're uh, watering this in, just always remember it's, it's the, over applying the water can, can be more of a, of an issue. Okay. For your for your good plants, you know what I'm looking now. Is it spectra? Which spectricide are you talking about? I pulled up initially uh, one product, and now I'm looking at another. I wish companies wouldn't do this. Spectricide it, it, weed stop. 
Berlans is yeah. what I bought. It's a big purple bottle. Yeah, and but it has it lists one, two, three, four ingredients in it. Uh, oh. It, it has a post-emergent that would work on your dollar weed, and it has a pre-emergent on it, a couple of types of pre-emergents. And so uh, I guess we need to just look at which, which weed we're dealing with. But read the label. That is absolutely okay. the bottom line. You, you said atrazine, and that's not in this one, so it must be a different weed stop. Okay. Yeah. But... Um, as long as I don't water it in too deep, should I try and stay away from the drip line of the tree or anything? Well, where, where I'm... tree roots are way past the drip line, too. And so anywhere in okay. your yard you put it down, you're going to have potential for tree roots underneath the surface. So just be okay. careful with it. It's been, it's okay. been, it's been in products used for years. It's just, you know, it's one of the ones that is a little more uh, problematic for people that are not reading the label. I will do my best, and I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for the call, Justin. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 845-5689. Our email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now we're going to go to the phones and talk to Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi, Skip. Uh, I had a question for you about, for a large container garden, uh, trying to do sort of rescue temperature control uh, so we had 50 or 60 days over 100, mostly in a row. Um, so I put up shade cloths over the whole thing. The, the pot sizes range from, I guess, 5 gallons up to 20 gallons. Okay. And everybody was still suffering. Um, so I had the idea, and what I'd like to hear your opinion, on running a mister, like uh, once an hour during the hottest part of the day for five minutes. Um, what are your thoughts about running misters to, are, to are cool... These... Uh, Dan, are these vegetables? Uh, they're primarily chili peppers. Oh, okay. Well, the problem with a mister is you're creating disease heaven, uh, you know, by keeping uh, leaf wetness and, and high humidity and things like that. Uh, I'd be a little hesitant. I think we're at a point now where you don't need to worry about the temperature. You know, we've we've kind of i know we're going to we have potential to get up on a hot day this week i believe but uh, in general it's going down so i think you're going to be okay one of the issues with temperature this summer in containers is depending on the kind of container uh that soil may may have gotten really hot and uh just from the sun shining on it or si shining on the sides of the container and that just kills roots uh, you can i've seen containers in garden center or in uh, grower nurseries where on the western sunny side, there was a bunch of dead roots uh, just inside because it just got so blasted hot. Uh, so I think we're past that, though, now. Okay, so do you think now is an okay time to take shade cloth off? Yeah, I do. I do. And oh. and fall is, is a great pepper season. You've got good plants. Just keep them fertilized adequately. Not a lot, but just moderate. And then keep them well watered so they don't fully dry out. Uh, and you should be getting a good good harvest. My peppers, uh, they got a little droughty, and they quit blooming this summer. Had several kinds of peppers, and now they're starting to bloom again, so they're ready to go for fall. Yeah, everything has, has started blooming back up. And yeah. earlier in the year, if the sun would touch a plant, the mm. leaves would just get roasted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's It was a year, that's for sure. Well, okay, good. but in general, missing is, is not ideal. I, I, know. I felt great being under there. Nah, no, well, I bet it does. Uh, no, it, it's really not. Uh, the the plants misting is 
uh, it cools by evaporative cooling as the water changes from a liquid to a gas. Excuse me. Uh, and so the plants themselves do that. They pump water up uh, and then they release it out of their leaves as a gas. And in the process, it helps a number of things. It helps the plant function, but also uh, it is somewhat of an evaporative cooling benefit to them. So that's happening from the inside out. I think as long as they have adequate water and it, a root system and a soil volume that can supply the plant fast enough on these days when the demands may outstrip the ability to get water up there in the plant. As long as they can get it fast enough, they should be okay. Okay, great, thank you. All right, man, thanks a lot, appreciate that. Had a, let's see, we had an email from Matt uh, regarding hypoxylin canker. Whenever you uh, lose a tree to hypoxylin canker, what do you do? Do you get it out of there? It are, is it gonna infect the other trees? You know, it. just myself, I would want to get the tree cut down and out of there just because as a tree, uh, that's dead sits there a long time it, it becomes less structurally sound and and more hazardous to take down but as far as the other trees around it you know getting it out yes there are spores coming off that tree that are floating through the air but they're already out in nature and that's how you could have a let's say a post oak in your yard in the middle of Bryan or College Station and it gets hypoxylin canker. Where did that come from? Well, it was there. And so it's not because it was a sick tree right next to it. So it, it you don't have to get them out of there, but um, you know it, it wouldn't hurt. It, I don't know if that's a, so qualified that it, it's not that helpful, but yeah. Going back to the phones again, uh, let's see, we had a question um, from Peggy asking about the sucker stopper and uh, you primarily where to apply it. And so basically you're applying it right at the base where you cut the sucker off. Uh, but follow the label. The label will tell you what to do uh, and it, it will show you how to do that. Uh, we're kind of hitting a season where sucker growth is going to be slowing down here pretty soon. Uh, and so I don't know. Uh, just Just follow the label. That's the best way to go about it. Let's go back to the phones. 845 Five six eight nine. We're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Well, I have several questions. Okay. Um, what do you know about toothache or trees? Or toothache trees. Well, it's a native tree. Uh, the um, the bark has these raised projections with a thorn on the end. It, they remind me of Hershey's Kisses because they're, they're kind of like a little volcano, but very short and squatty. Uh, but then they have this thorn on the end, which <laughs> that's a bear of a tree to get around because those are wicked yeah. thorns. Yeah. Well, mine have got what looked to be like the molar of a tooth. It's kind of like little, little pedestals. But okay. Anyhow, um, mine are dying. Uh, I think I've lost all my, my toothache trees, and I'm wondering what's the chances of finding uh, a small one's plant, or uh, what should I do to try and prevent, if I go further into in my woodlot, maybe I might find a couple. Yeah, and the time to dig them would be early November uh, to, to dig them and, and move them. Um, I don't see those for sale typically, but I, if I were you, I would contact someone with the Native Plant Society. Uh, and I think if they, if something like that's available anywhere in the region, they're going to know about it. And they would be the ones, I think, that would be your best bet. I do not have a phone number 
Um, uh, I, oh gosh, what is it? I can probably I can probably dig it up. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Go I also would like to know. I don't know. I I have not planted. Tried to put in put in seed to fill in areas that are kind of sparse because mm-hmm. it's always been too 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 hot. But now it appears like there's not going to be any fall at all because. Uh, I think we're going to go right from boiling hot to kind of cool. Okay. Is it worthwhile to try and seed in between, you know, in spots that are kind of bare with caterpillar? Uh, are we, what What are we, what kind of seeds are we talking about? A caterpillar? Or, um, oh, for butterfly plants. Is that what no, you they're, mean? No, they're caterpillar. They, 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 they form a long root that's got soft little rootlets coming off it, and that's what, you know, I, I'm it's, not... it's good for drought. Hmm. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know what, what you're talking about. I'm not familiar with with uh, that. I'm probably using the wrong the wrong insect. Well, uh, th- that's fine. Well, uh, common names of plants. Do you think I'll get any growth? Do you think I'll get any growth if I try and put some feed seed down? It's supposed to be if, tolerant if, to heat, but yeah. If this is a a plant that is a warm season plant, it's a little late. If it is a cool season plant, it's about the right time to put seeds out there. Uh, now, or, can you go, can right? you describe this plant to me in any any way? I, I'm, I'm sure you. I'm just using the wrong name. I always use the wrong. Uh-huh. It's got, it grows on a long, thick root, and and, and it traces make deep things and roots, survives really good in the heat. But it's got a lot of little things growing off of it, which makes it a good thing to fill out the okay, especially on hills. Well, uh, you might want to take a picture of it and uh, send it to me. Uh, at the email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I'll take a look at it. Make sure it's up close and good sharp focus, and I can tell you what it is. And then w- once we know what it is, what to do about it. And I guess finally, I've been using the same gallon of uh, vine killer. Uh, I don't I don't spray things. I, I kind of cut the vine, and then I apply right to the, yeah. The edge of the, the cut edge, so I don't get everything going far. And it, yeah, that's so a good It's gone a long while, but I've been using it for four years. Does that stuff have a, uh, it doesn't have anything on the label about it when, when, it, when it expires. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, chemicals do have a shelf life, but uh, the main thing is the conditions it's stored in. Uh, a lot of yeah. things break down in sunlight, so if it's sitting outside, you know, where the sun can hit the container, if it's a a glass container uh the temperature is huge and uh there's a big difference from being stored in some closet in your house versus being stored out in a little tin roof shed when it's 100 degrees all summer okay then i guess i best buy a new gallon (laughs) i I, I, got a gallon that's a lot okay well i've been i've been sucking out of it for a long while like i said i just fill up a syringe and without a needle on the end of it i just kind of apply it to the cut edge and yeah it i was looking at a spot i treated two years ago and it it, it's still working two years ago but this is a yeah i don't get over every everywhere every year so yeah well it doesn't take it doesn't take much when you do we call that a cut stump treatment or a or a stem basal stem treatment and uh, it doesn't take much it it does a good job it sure beats digging out all those tubers yeah that's right (laughs) all right okay well thank you thank you very very much i appreciate that call john thank you our phone number is 845-5689 845-5689 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu.
edu. Uh, let's see, going into some of the emails, got a lot of questions that it's kind of like the same thing. It's like my tree's dying, my tree's dying, my tree's dying. And so I've kind of answered those already about what we can do. Uh, someone did send an email about uh, some yopan that um, were, were had been planted and that were dying and sent some pictures of it. And uh, I think this is just a, a watering issue. Uh, and and here's here's something to think about. I know that a lot of times I'll say, well, they weren't watered properly or weren't watered enough, and people say they water them all the time. Uh, so I can't be there at the house and feel the soil and know what you know your your soil moisture is. But what really matters is the amount of soil moisture. Uh, that that seems ridiculously obvious, right? But uh, I can't tell you to water for 15 minutes or an hour. I can't tell you. Uh, where to place the water exactly because I don't, you know, if a new plant went in the ground, the water needs to be right there because those roots are all right there. Now, slowly over the summer, there are roots that are going to be venturing out into moist soil around it. But in general, you've got a very confined root system. One way I like to, to, to tell people this is, you know, let's say you were going to plant, I don't know, some plant like, let's say a crepe myrtle, and you're going to plant it in July. Well, if you were to take that crepe myrtle in its black plastic pot and dig a hole and set the pot and the crepe myrtle all down in the hole and then fill in around it with soil, think about that when you water. Because that where you would you would know then I've got to put all the water right here in this pot. Because in the garden center it's being watered once or twice a day uh, in that pot depending on the size of the plant and weather conditions and things. So when people water a wider area, they are getting the soil moist, but it pumps that little cylinder of roots dry uh, in the course of a, a day or two. And uh, so you, you need to moderately continue to keep that soil moist, and that, that's the best way to go about it. And I think these yopans that I'm seeing, they, they just looks like classic classic drought damage uh, and I, I just think they couldn't they didn't have the root system that a native yopon that had come up in nature and grown on its own would have developed and so you're probably looking at as a result uh, just it just got too dry for a while uh, once it gets dry roots die and when roots die maybe you have some living roots or the base has some still some sap in it and, and life but without roots, you can't take up water. Without water, you can't cool the plant. Uh, all the the carbohydrates, which make the food that fuel everything, the leaves rather, that can't happen. And so recovering from a drought is recovering with several handicaps. You know, they're, they're, it's like you're, you've been limited by this. You've been limited by that. This plant has, it's now trying to, to grow in a drought without the, the benefit of a full root system. Uh, or the benefit of, uh, uh, you know, leaves to get, catch the light and do that. So that's just something to think about on our plants. It's been a brutal time, a brutal summer, and uh, we're out of it. Uh, I say we're out of it now. Uh, we may have another warm spell or so, but in general, the calendar says it's time to get busy, and just remember that. it, You know, it temperature outside is what it's going to be. But the calendar's the calendar. And so there's no reason to think that a blazing hot summer means that the first freeze is going to come earlier or later. It, that's a different thing. And so I would, uh, I would just remember that all the things we want to do grow and get in before a freeze, well, it, you need to do it. 
I think I've said that in so many ways and <laughs> whatnot that uh, it ought to be ought to be pretty clear right now. Uh, let's see, we one other question. Let's see, we're talking about crepes and looking at some of the questions coming in here. Uh, I, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk just a little bit about fall bulb planting because that is coming around the corner as well. And fall herb planting. This is a good time to plant perennial herbs. Almost all your herbs are perennial. Uh, the you know if you look at a 20 or 30 herbs, the majority, vast majority of them are going to be perennials. Basil likes hot weather; it's an annual, but most of them are perennial. Put them in in the fall, get them started. Uh, water them in really good. Make sure they got a good composty soil that you've mixed up, and give them a, something quality to grow in, uh, and get them started. As far as bulbs, October is our big bulb month. Uh, you can plant bulbs September, November, and so on. But uh, October is a good time to get in our bulbs, especially the ones that bloom in the uh, winter and spring. And so uh, you want to get the soil, uh, any preparation you're going to do, take a note as to how deep the bulb should be planted. Uh, different species of bulb plants are planted at different depths, some very close to the surface uh, and some very deep, uh, surprisingly deep. Uh, so you just want to make sure you get that right. Buy your bulbs from a reputable source so that you know you're getting what they say on the on the sales label that they are, uh, and get them in, water them in really well. They will sit there for a while. As it cools off a little bit, you'll get some growth on them. Uh, and uh, depending on their bloom season, that's when they do their show. I think bulbs are a great way to go. Uh, for example, this this year, it was so blazing hot that you just saw grass dying everywhere. And you, see, you just see these tawny fields of grass and weeds. If that soil has the schoolhouse lily or the rain, uh, the um, also called oxblood lily, if it's got rain lilies in it, uh, when you get a, a little bit of rain, it's going to come back. And wow, that is a resilient plant. You know, some plants, we want them to be tough enough to grow here despite the weather. But then there are the plants that um, I like to refer to them as winter Texans because, you know, you leave Wisconsin in your Winnebago, you go to the Valley of Texas, eat citrus all winter, uh, and then go back to Wisconsin when it's safe to <laughs> go north again. These bulbs kind of do like that. They grow through the cool season, and then when it gets hot, the foliage dries and dies and goes to the ground. And it's not there all, all year. Uh, in some cases, you know, like a rain lily, it would come back periodically. But that is a good way to survive, and, and it, I, let's just say they're smart. They know what they're doing. So consider those kind of bulbs when you're planting. They are, they're resilient, they're tough, and they're just really good choices. And uh, by, by choosing things that know how to grow like that, uh, you're setting yourself up for a one-time investment that gives you years and years of dividends. Oh, here's another example. There's a little thing called copper lily. It's a hybranthus. And if you drive along the roadside right now, we had that little rain the other day, and you see these little kind of golden orange yellow uh, blooms that are sticking up maybe eight, ten inches high. Those are copper lilies. And look at that roadside condition. I mean, it is it is bleak. But here they are coming right back out of it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You drive around town, see a lot of different areas where these things are have receded and spread, and it's just really beautiful. So remember, fall uh, is your bulb season. It's the best time to do that. If you're gonna, if your grass is in really bad shape and you absolutely want to re 
recite it, go ahead and do that, but very quickly. It's going to need several weeks to root in really well to be prepared for winter and to come out strong in the spring. Otherwise, just wait. And when it warms up in the spring, you can do a lot of soil prep and get rid of perennial weeds that you might have and other things, and then put a fresh new uh, set aside blocks on the ground to, to fill in really nicely. Uh, the uh, Someone was uh, calling the Extension Office uh, the other day and asking questions about, uh, you know, how do you manage uh, the weeds that uh, come up at different times of the year and how do you know what to do? The Aggie Turf website, if you go to aggieturf.tamu.edu, aggieturf.tamu.edu, bottom left, there's a little box and it says turf grass varieties or species, uh, turf grass weeds, and then it's publications. If you click on the publications one, if you click on the weeds one, you can get pictures to tell you what weed you have. If you click on the publications one, uh, there's some publications in there that talk about managing weeds throughout the year. We got cool season and warm season. We got annuals and perennials. Uh, and that is a really good resource. And I would encourage you to get print you out a copy, have it on hand, because you're going to have questions about that. Uh, when our lawn has gotten thin like it has this year, we're probably going to see some more weed problems that start uh, to creep in. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter. We are here every Thursday to answer your gardening questions. We're going to have a special show uh, next week that is going to be a cohort of mine, Mr. Michael Potter, who's a horticulturist in Montgomery County. And we're going to talk a lot about lawns and some of the issues of lawns and things like that. So I hope you stay tuned. Remember, you can also listen by podcast. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.